welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. This week, we talk about a climate lawsuit filed in 2015 by 21 youth plaintiffs against the federal government. The lawsuit, which is called Juliana versus the United States, asserts that the government knowingly violated the youth plaintiffs' rights to life, liberty, and property by encouraging and permitting the combustion of fossil fuels, and that these actions represent a failure to protect essential public trust resources. This lawsuit got a lot of attention back in 2016 when Oregon District Court Judge Anne Aitken ruled in the case that access to a clean environment was a fundamental right. But that was before Trump got into office. Here's the lead plaintiff, Kelsey Juliana, on Sky News, explaining what's at stake. When I first got involved in climate litigation, I was 14 years old, and I didn't even know what a plaintiff was. No one thought the case, known as Juliana versus the United States, would get very far. But the government has tried and failed to get it thrown out of court. And now it's about one central question. Is there a constitutional right to a safe and stable climate? We want this right established because we as young people have been and are still feeling the effects of climate destabilization in our daily lives, in our home and in our prospect of a future and in a stable, reliable future. We want our government to act on the most pressing issue of our time. We do not want money, because if we do not act on those other things, money will be nothing. I start by meeting up with two of Kelsey's co-plaintiffs, Tia Hatton and Oji Piper, back in 2018, and then talk to two journalists who have covered this story. Christy Cooper, who's just released the movie Youth vs. Gov, and then talk with the author Lee Van Der Vu, who wrote As the World Burns, the new generation of activists and the landmark legal fight against climate change. Okay, so back in 2018, there was a lot of excitement because the Juliana case was finally headed for trial. This is when the youth would get their day in court, when all the evidence of climate impacts and government inaction would be read into the record. It was also the early days of Podship Earth, and I was pretty intrepid. I heard that two of the youth plaintiffs were in town, so I managed to get an interview. Hi, my name is Tia Hatton. I am 21 years old, and I'm from Bend, Oregon. My name is Aji Piper. I'm 18 years old from Seattle, Washington. So, Tia, how, how did you end up as a plaintiff in this lawsuit? I was involved in local climate work in my hometown of Bend, and basically Kelsey Juliana, my co-plaintiff, just reached out to me and asked if I wanted to be a part of really meaningful climate action, and I said yes. I was in my senior year of high school thinking about the next step, and I was and am still considering environmental law as a career. So for me, it was... A, you know, a really interesting way to experience that and learn more about the legal system. And what's the, what's the thing that connects you to, to the environment? 
I enjoy being outside and I think my love of the outdoors is kind of what brought my love for the environment and why I care so much about this lawsuit. I enjoy trail running and backpacking. Um, I'm in my senior year of college. I'm studying environmental sciences right now, so it is still a huge part of my life. There's been so much attention around you suing the federal government. Um, has that impacted you, you know, personally, like when you go into a grocery store or something? I'm definitely aware of my actions and I wouldn't say like that makes me be on my best behavior, but I am aware of my role in this lawsuit and the responsibility as a plaintiff. And I've gotten to meet a lot of really cool other young activists and um, I would say we're all very close now and it's cool to watch them grow up alongside myself. So Aji, how did that community um, get built up around the lawsuit? It was like a byproduct of the lawsuit and also environmental activism in general. Just we all kind of fight for the same cause, feel the same emotions. It's kind of like it brings you real close together, like you're a really tight-knit group of, of long-time friends. And how do your parents, Aji, how do they view it? Does it set up a different dynamic with adults? Because um, in some ways, yes, you're suing the federal government, but in another way, you're suing our generation. I wouldn't necessarily say that we're suing a generation. We're really looking at the federal government and their uh, allowance of that systems. Uh, my mom's usually really supportive of this uh, work. It's it's not like there's really any kind of feeling of like, ah, oh, mom, you're you messed up my future. Because she's always been pretty environmentally conscious. Um, and really pushed me to be active in my community. So even even if you win, like the the remedies would require the federal government to take action. Yeah, it would be a court order, though. It was not like we're because we've we've tried before. Um, all the, I'm sure all the plaintiffs in some form or another have gone to their legislators, have mailed senators, called senators' offices, and asked the federal government, like, hey, like please do these things. We need these things to happen. And that hasn't really worked. And of course, with our president in office um, and his current standpoint on climate change, um, there's definitely no way he's on his own taking any action. However, under a court order, it changes things a little bit. it's It's no longer like these kids asking you. It's another branch of government ordering you, you have to do this. I hope that can happen in the U.S. What do you think, Tia? I have a lot of hope in our lawsuit and our legal system. I think there's been some really landmark lawsuits and other like civil rights movements and other social justice movements throughout America's history that have shown just that, the power that our courts hold and that constitutional rights hold. We're putting, you know, a lot of trust in our legal system as young people. Aji, where are you and the other plaintiffs putting most of your energy these days? A lot of our energy has been focused on preparing for trial. And there's definitely there's definitely still potential for it, uh, especially because trial is on October 29th and we're trying to have rallies all across the country. Tia, what, what are the lines of argument that the federal government are using trying to defend themselves in this case? The federal government in our case is not arguing that climate change is not happening, but they also you know, change their strategy quite a bit. They have admitted in the in the courts that climate change is happening, but they haven't admitted to their role in it. One of the most difficult things that they deal with is just that climate change is already here. It's already happening. How are you preparing psychologically? I guess 
honestly, I try to not think about it too much because it's really, really frightening. And it feels like for me that it's not going to change unless something really big, like systemically is changed. Personally, I am trying to like figure out how I can work in like my passion for a career with climate change adaptation and mitigation. And it's hard when there's uncertainty to the, you know, levels of damage and, you know, you want to hope for like the best outcome that it's like the least damage. It's like on the low end of the damage that we are expecting, but that's not going to happen in every case. So. Aji, does does the climate emergency make you want to think differently about, you know, what you do next career-wise? It's, it's funny, we actually joked about having to um, do career changes into, like, building seawalls, like, professional seawall building. <laughs> and, like, you know, uh, I want to be... A, I want to be a, a doctor. Nah, screw that. I got to be a professional seawall builder because climate change. Because um, I'm, especially I'm in that, that nice out of high school flux point where you're like, okay, what do I do with the rest of my life? And you kind of like, you're trying, to, you're trying to develop what you want to do. And then at the same time, you've got this big rushing issue like, oh, climate change and your whole system's going to shift up. And uh, it just, it just becomes like, I just like I sometimes I get this feeling like oh, I'm just I'm gonna do what I do I'm gonna fight for climate change and um, what I wanna what I wanna do is architecture so eventually I can figure out how to architect around changing climates. Next, still in 2018, I meet up with Christy Cooper, the director of the just released amazing movie called Youth vs. Gov. So, Christy, how did you get engaged in this story and and tell us about kind of the process of making the movie? Um, well, I first got involved um, working with these kids in 2011 um, when our Children's Trust filed the original legal cases across the, the country in each state. Um, uh, I came on board with the project with Witness, um, creating a series of 10 short films that supported the, the state law cases. From that point, I stayed in touch with the kids. I followed all of the legal actions that our Children's Trust was engaged in, um, continued to film some of the kids who I'd originally started with. Um, and in 2016, when Judge Coffin ruled in uh, the favor of these youth um, in the motion to dismiss, I realized that the story was going somewhere, and I realized that these kids' stories needed to be told. And I think that the way that they're engaging in this issue, in these stories, the impacts that they're facing, I feel that we have the opportunity to create a new dialogue around climate change. So the next phase of the film is the trial. So that's going to be, like in most legal movies, the trials where it's all happening. So are you are you able to go into the courtroom? Like, are there access issues for the for the trial coming up? Yeah, it's really difficult to be able to record audio and video in our federal district courts. I was fortunate enough in the Ninth Circuit. Um, court uh, hearing last year. We were the only film pool team that was allowed to film in the courtroom, so that was pretty exciting to get some of the engagement between the judges and the attorneys on both sides. I will be sitting in the courtroom throughout this entire trial um, documenting what's happening, trying to follow the story, trying to put together how I want to tell it in the film. I imagine you guys winning and then, I mean, you could do follow-up movies on like interviewing the people at EPA and the Department of Interior on what the hell they're doing to implement it. 
Yeah, I do, fo- I do plan on following the story through to its finality. This film, this first film, we plan to have finished next winter. Um, for me, it's really important that the plaintiffs are bringing forth in this trial. I don't want to wait um, until the case goes to the circuit court or goes to the Supreme Court in order to get this story out. I think that all of the evidence that they're going to present showing government collusion with the fossil fuel industry going back 60 years, I think it's imperative that the public is aware Christy, making a movie over such a long period of time must have given you new incredible insights into how the plaintiffs themselves developed. This case already started three years ago, and um, all of these plaintiffs have grown significantly um, in terms of age as well as maturity and their stories and what their activism looks like. So I think it's really exciting to see um, the, the journey that all of them have been on. So back with Tia, I ask her what she would want the public to do to help. Yes. So if you are able to, on October 29th, um, that is the first day of our trial, and we are hoping to get people out in all 50 states for local rallies at government buildings and in Eugene, Oregon, at at the federal courthouse. How many people do you want? Tens of thousands. (laughs) Awesome. You guys are going to be kicking ass. I love it. Okay, so fast forward to the courthouse in Eugene, Oregon on October 29th, 2018, and here's one of the youngest plaintiffs, Levi Draham. Though our leaders are silent, let the youth be heard. Today, we're here in front of the federal courthouse in Eugene, Oregon, and we're here today because we were rallying because of the government filed an administrative stay Also outside the courthouse that day was veteran environmental journalist Lee Van Der Voo, whose new book, As the World Burns, The New Generation of Activists and the Landmark Legal Fight Against Climate Change, was just published by Timber Press. So, Lee, what the hell happened next? Did the youth plaintiffs get their day in court? Well, what happened next, and the short answer is not much. The Trump administration had tried to stall this trial, and they made one last-ditch attempt and effectively stayed the the trial, and essentially it never took place. The Trump administration essentially filed what's called a writ of mandamus, and in, in legal terms, it's sort of a nuclear option. It had been used in the Trump administration more times than it had been used in the previous two presidential administrations over 16 years. And they were cases that had to do with the president's agendas, like the Muslim air travel ban, the right of young DACA immigrants to remain in the United States. And in the case of Juliana, uh, it was effective in stalling the trial. So the Trump administration really pulled out all the stops to try and halt this case, including having the oil industry intervene on their behalf. Yeah, absolutely. And they did. And, and you know, this was a very seasoned, skilled attorney who had previously represented the fossil fuel energy industry that they used to defend the government in this case. Somebody who had helped to dismantle some of the clean air policy that the Obama administration had been developing in previous years, who was suddenly on the side of the government, theoretically defending it. Okay, so even though the trial was put on hold, you thought it made sense to start writing your book, As the World Burns, The New Generation of Activists and the Landmark Legal Fight Against Climate Change. 
I didn't know whether to stay and wait for the trial to continue, if it would or could continue, or to go find something else to do. Initially, I ended up just driving to Paradise, California and covering the wildfires. And that was a real pick-me-up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, November was just kind of earth-shattering. We watched an entire town decimated by wildfire. We saw the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change release its report that we had 12 years to take action on climate change or bust. And we watched this epic fight for power um, between Congress and a president that refused to acknowledge that any of it was really happening. And meanwhile, you know, I was in touch with the plaintiffs and I was in touch with their attorneys and still following them in their case and wondering how it might continue. And it just sort of happened that I continued to follow them for the next year through these cataclysmic storms and wildfires and a polar vortex. And, and a lot of things seemed to evolve from the Juliana case that started to gain more momentum. I think young people were really galvanized by the events that I'm talking about. Certainly, you know, Greta Thunberg was beginning her solitary protests outside Parliament. And, you know, meanwhile, you have the Juliana plaintiffs who have have done their best to take this question of whether young people have a right to a climate system that's capable of sustaining human life into a venue where theoretically children can go for redress, right? It's not like they can vote. To see them kind of flatline in the place that was supposed to be the place of last resort was really a signal that young people were going to have to get in the streets. It felt hard reading your book just to to keep the eyes open because it's, it's, I mean, there is hope, but it's also painful. Yeah, I guess it, it was both of those things for me too. How do you feel about environmental journalism or your role in telling this story? I'm a Gen Xer. I've been a journalist for 20 years reporting on the environment for most of that time. And I understood that climate change was an issue, certainly, and that it was coming toward us. I didn't understand how urgently it was coming toward us. I didn't see it as the profound intergenerational justice issue that it is. And so making those discoveries with such a well-informed, inspiring group of young people was pr pretty life-changing for me. It really altered my perspective of the work that I do and my role in the world as an adult. My industry has played kind of a terrible role in um, the disinformation around this issue, and I think that we need to hurry up and get on the right side of history. <laughs> I mean, it, it feels like, yes, journalism has been slow to the table, but it feels like things are changing positively. I feel like young people in our society have kind of flipped the wisdom paradigm on this issue, if you will. They are so much more educated than older folks. And unfortunately, those older folks are the ones that make the news, at least for the time being. And there is really a, a significant knowledge gap. It certainly felt like, you know, we thought that those impacts of climate change would come 20 years from now. They're here now. We're feeling them, experiencing them. We're in the middle of a climate emergency. As, <laughs> as you covered this story, Lee, um, like how did you see the evolution of these young people? How did that occur to you? 
They're all very dynamic. They also come from really unique backgrounds. And so the directions that they're going to take are not going to be the same. I also find them as a group of climate advocates to be a really inspiring bunch. I think missing that trial was a really hard thing for for most, if not all of them. And they have incredible optimism and in, in plucking, kind of getting up from that experience and finding ways to um, continue to be advocates. To see them go from uh, dejected on the courthouse steps in Eugene, Oregon, to you know, 60 minutes in the pages of Vanity Fair, there's there's no question that they have played a tremendous role in platforming this issue and making it accessible to huge numbers of people, which I think is amazing. Do you have any sense of, with a new Department of Justice under President Biden, whether there's an opportunity for the case to move forward or like what, what changes as a result of Biden becoming president as it relates to the Juliana case? Well, I think it's interesting that the Ninth Circuit has not ruled on the request for rehearing quite yet. It tells me that something is happening with this case other than a straight up no. Juliana's kind of an interesting case in that we're not hearing anything, which tells me that there's something going on, right? If you're not hearing anything, that means something's happening. I like Yeah, I know that the Juliana attorneys are are very aware of the fact that the Department of Justice is about to reorganize um, with new environmental attorneys at the helm and is actively pursuing communications with the Biden transition team about how the Department of Justice may um, participate differently in the case and allow these these plaintiffs to either go to trial or negotiate a settlement in the case. So I think that the months ahead could be very interesting for Juliana. How do you see, Lee, the intersection between these court cases and, for instance, the court cases that cities in California have brought against large oil companies that they knew about the climate risks um, way back in the 70s and 80s and did nothing about it? Well, it's all pressure on industry. It's all financial pressure on on shareholders. It's forcing the industry to confront its liability. It's a bit big tobacco. We saw these lawsuits from, from public agencies, from individuals against the tobacco industry back in the day. And, you know, the tactic was delay and deny as a defense. And, and I don't think that the oil and gas industry, fossil fuel energy industry is really much different in its defense of this case and many others. Delay and deny means, you know, decades more profit. Do you think the Juliana plaintiffs care about the age of the climate team that Biden is putting together? In general, I find young people to be much less concerned about the intergenerational politics than I am. I was really surprised with the readiness with which, um, you know, the Sunrise Movement, for example, and other uh, youth climate groups embraced Biden as a presidential candidate. And Bernie Sanders, too. You know, there's a lot of love of Bernie. And so I'm not sure I really speak for anybody about how Kerry's being received, but I just personally... I'm glad that there's someone tasked with this mission 
And I think it's really interesting that it's a person who has such a, a history of international diplomacy, which is a thing that uh, the climate fight is going to need. How are you personally thinking about your year ahead? Pre-COVID, I was thinking that I would be following along with the youth climate strikes and the uh, ramp up to the election with this community. And it's just sort of another wild card, yet another thing that didn't didn't happen, right? Sometimes the things that don't happen are as important as the things that do happen. If the court case had gone on, we may not have had the youth climate strikes, right? I mean, it may not have, because there's need. there needs to be an outlet. It feels mm -hmm. like it's an important outlet. And maybe the legal system was never going to be the outlet that gave us satisfaction. Like a lot of people right now and just sort of pinwheeling and looking for ground, nothing is happening the way anybody expects, you know, how we face existential threat to humanity. There's not much else that I really want to be covering. In your latest reporting, did the Oregon wildfire season provide a wake-up call to climate deniers in, in your neck of the woods? I wouldn't use the term wake-up call. I think that there's still a lot of division. Um, you know, people understand that there's a serious problem here. And I think you can use language that isn't climate language that's much less triggering of the political divides that seem to characterize talk about solutions. But people will acknowledge, for example, that there are changing conditions, worsening conditions, you know, drought, uh, pine beetle damage. So that is a uniform consensus. As a journalist that's focused on transparency and accountability, whose craft is words, like words matter. And so how, how do you think about that? Because saying there's worsening conditions at some point isn't owning up to the fact that it is climate change. How do we moderate our language and do we sacrifice truth if we do moderate our language towards the political goal of broadening the tent? I'm not sure I know the answer. I, I don't know that just saying, you know, changing forest conditions or uh, increasing drought, increasing temperatures pushes us into a place of disinformation. Uh, it certainly is denial, though. But if we can agree on the symptoms, that's certainly an easy way to have the conversation. I think I just try and in interviewing people and involving as many people as I can uh, in my reporting to just meet them where they are. And after the relationship is there, maybe we can have the harder talk. Excellent. Well, I look forward to having that harder talk on the steps of the Ninth Circuit um, <laughs> in San Francisco and look forward to reading more of your story soon. A huge thank you to all the 21 plaintiffs in the case Juliana versus United States for standing up and fighting the system by trying to work within the legal system. These brave and courageous youngsters and their excellent legal team have predictably been stymied at every turn by Big Oil and their friends in the Trump administration. But justice moves in mysterious ways. This lawsuit was actually a catalyst for the events that now have eclipsed it. By preventing the youth plaintiffs and Juliana from having their day in court, the Trump administration helped prompt the massive youth climate strikes. In turn, 
those street protests helped galvanize and then mobilize a younger generation to get up and go to the polls in 2020 to boot Trump out of office. We now have the opportunity for the federal government under President Biden to step up and be a force for good in the battle for our climate future that the Juliana plaintiffs started in 2015. Thank you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey, and please share Podship Earth with a friend so we can continue to spread the word. From the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spate, executive producer David Kahn, and from me, Jared Blumenfeld, let's give the last word to Kelsey Juliana. I feel old. I'm 23 years old. I've been doing this for more than half my lifetime. And as an older plaintiff, I certainly feel a responsibility to look out for their lives because that is truly what is at stake. We are asking those individuals who seem to be putting guns to the foreheads of all youth to not only not pull the trigger, but remove your weapon.